0: A young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub.
1: Welcome to The Hub. China and Bangladesh share the same major river and the same love for their mother tongue and culture and many other things. They also share similar aspirations and many of them a similar ideology as well. The Communist Party of China and the Communist Party of Bangladesh have brotherly relations going all the way back to the 1970s. Today I'm delighted to take a look at the journey and the visions of the two nations and the two parties through the eyes of Dilip Barua, Secretary General of the Communist Party of Bangladesh. With the world watching the 20th National Congress of the CPC to see China's future direction, what are the thoughts and perhaps expectations too in Bangladesh? Can the CPC be a greater partner in Bangladesh's economic development? How will the two countries work closer together strategically and economically. Mr. Barua, thank you so much for joining us. The CPC convened its 20th National Congress. Um, The world has been watching. Uh, I assume you have been watching too from Bangladesh. From from your point of view, uh, what are the things that stick out to you in the address uh, made by uh, Xi Jinping um, and also the vision of this National Congress?
2: Watch the televisions and that means I want to say, uh, in the twentieth Congress, the CPC has formulated the new vision of the Xi Jinping's thought for rejuvenations of the nation and for modern socialist country by 2049. So I think that this through this Congress. The main target of the Chinese Communist Party to match the socialist China in these directions, they are getting the whole effort in the directions. So, moreover, I want to say the Chinese Communist uh, Party has asserted on the unifications of the modern land that Taiwan should be integrated with the motherland, And one country's system is policy has got its own momentum and in course of time it will be work well. Hatma Bridge is uh,
1: open to traffic. Uh, it was a, a partnership between China and Bangladesh. Maybe you can tell us more about that bridge and how that bridge really facilitated travel and economic activities in your country.
2: Yes. I think uh, it is an it is an extraordinary event in Bangladesh to establish and breeze in the Padma River, mighty Padma River, you see. I think through Padma Rivers, we have a direct connection with the southern part of Bangladesh. Previously, in the southern part, it is supposed to take eight hours, nine hours, ten hours. Now, by three hours, one can go. In the morning, one can go. And in the evening, he, came, he will be able to come back to Dhaka. Moreover, the economic activities and uh, vegetables, fish, other things supposed to come Dhaka within a very short time. In this process, oh, we, have, our planning ministry, have find out that our economic growth, GDP growth, will be increase 1.2. So, I think through connectivity, it is a very important thing for economic lifeline. And this connectivity is, we can not, it will help to establish the, I want to say, Asian connectivity and other things. And our people will go to India directly from Dhaka to Calcutta directly by road. Previously, it was not possible. So, I think that. This, through this connectivity, Bangladesh will get, economically, will get a good momentum and yeah. it will increase further.
1: Yeah, finally, Comrade Baru, I want to ask you about some commonalities, once again, of our two parties, um, the Communist Party of China and the Communist Party of your country. Uh, the CPC is striving for, quote-unquote, uh, building a modern socialist country that is, prosperous, strong, democratic, culturally advanced, and beautiful, I'm referring to the environment and ecological uh, systems, of course, by 2049, that is the centenary year of uh, the founding of the PRC. And also in Bangladesh, we know that there is a program called uh, Shonar bangladesh Bang- uh, excuse me, a Golden Bangladesh, right? Is there a current thread, in your opinion, to both regions?
2: Now, under the leadership of the Ping the chinese society will strive towards the economic development more economic emancipations, and in the course of time china will be the number one economic power in the world and complying the environment complying the all situations i want to say in perfect way that uh, i want to say it is the Chinese government uphold the good governance and good system, good model. So, you see, now what what had experienced with the model, Chinese model that in, during, during COVID-19, China was a successful nation to face the COVID with their own governance system, own state mechanism. So, but through the COVID crisis pandemic in the world, the Western system has become very collapsed. I want to say they have frustrated the their people, and the bankruptcy of the Western system has been exposed among the peoples of the world. Now the peoples are looking forward for the Chinese model
1: lit barua secretary general of the communist party of bangladesh i thank you so much for your kind words and for sharing with us your insights thank you now we'll take a short break stay with us today china's skies are bluer mountains greener and the waterways clearer this was one of the key messages from xi jinping in his report to the 20th national congress of the communist party of china which started on Sunday in Beijing. He indicated that China is committed to environmental protection, green lifestyles, and participating in global governance on climate change. Now, Eric Soheim is former UN Undersecretary General and Chief of UN Environment. He's currently President of the Green Belt and Road Institute in Beijing. He tells me what makes China a global leader in green technology. Let's take a listen. Let's talk about the issue of climate. Two years ago, you said at the World Economic Forum that you're confident We can heal the earth again, yet we're looking at the hottest summer, uh, not just here uh, in parts of Asia but across the world. How confident are you now that we can still survive this global warming?
0: I'm still very confident that we can survive global warming because we have solved major environment issues in the past. Look 30 years back, um, the hole in the ozone layer, uh, acid rain were the main environment topics of the day no one was talking about them any longer because the issues are resolved uh, the hole in the ocean day is coming back there is no acid rain in most parts of the world uh, and look to china when china established the people's republic in 1949 life expectancy in china was about 30 years maybe a little bit more than 30 years now, now it's 78 soon it will pass 80. Look at this enormous progress of development in China and many other parts of the world. Of course, when we could do these miracles in the past, we can also solve the problem of climate change, even if it's a huge challenge for humanity.
1: But like you said, different countries are at different levels of development. Uh, you know, Some are phasing out uh, fossil fuels. Some are barely adopting digital technology, green technologies. How do you see the world in coordinating their actions when it comes to climate change and uh, emission reduction ambitions?
0: Absolutely, we need to work together as one big family because climate change is an enormous challenge to everyone, to the developed and the developing countries alike. But the good news is that now we have all the win-win policies. There's not a choice between development and environment. We can do both at the same time. We can both improve the economy, create jobs, create prosperity, have a much better life, while at the same time being much kinder to Mother Earth. One example of course is solar energy. When we make the switch from coal to solar, not just it's good for the environment, it's also good for the economy. And you're creating more jobs and you save money because solar energy is cheaper and better uh, than coal.
1: How would you balance people's livelihood with environmental priorities? A
0: green movement needs to be a people's movement. You need to put people first and people's interest first. But of course, we have a new development model now. The old model, the 20th century, was first you prioritize economic development, create jobs, and create an enormous pollution on the way. But now in the 21st century, there is no such choice to be made between development and environment because we can do both at the same time, move very, very fast to protect the planet while at the same time create jobs and prosperity. And China, of course, is a key example of of that. In the last 10 years, China has done fantastically much better on the environment, reduced pollution in all the big cities, cleaned up many of the rivers, uh, planting trees at at a large scale. All this is good for the Chinese economy, while at the same time it's good for the planet. China now produces 80% of all the solar panels in the world. It's the dominant wind power uh, um, nation. Produced 80% of all hydropower last year, and China has 70% of all the battery electric battery production production in the in the world. All this is good for the Chinese economy, while at the same time, fantastic news for humanity.
1: Talk about China's dual carbon goals—that is, carbon peaking and net zero. How do you see that coming? And perhaps more importantly, what would you see as the biggest challenges along the way?
0: The biggest challenge is the change in mindset from seeing environment as a cost and as a problem, into seeing it as an enormous opportunity for economic development, job creation, and prosperity. And China doing this, and but it's not just China. India, the, the other big developing countries, is doing exactly the same. Prime Minister Modi of India has put up a green hydrogen mission for, uh, for India. He is uh, moving into solar energy very, very fast. India is the first all solar rail uh, station, the first all solar airport in the world. And again, all these are creating jobs for Indians while at the same time uh, it's very good news uh, for, for the planet. And very soon, India will be the second biggest solar nation in the world, next to China.
1: We you talk about the environment. There are so many components of it. For example, biodiversity, a thing that is very much associated with our lives. China is very committed to this issue. Last year, there was a major declaration on biodiversity in southern China. How would you rate the effort of biodiversity here in China?
0: I think uh, if you look 10 or 20 years back there was very limited consciousness on the environment in China because China prioritized economic growth for very understandable reasons, bringing everyone out of extreme poverty. But now President Xi has set a target uh, of another type of growth, more people centered uh, and more responsible growth. And China's also moving into environment protection at a very large scale. Look to the fishing bands of the Yangtze or the Upper Yellow River. These are huge undertakings fanta- in the short uh, run. Painful for some of the people fishermen living there but fantastic news for the long-term environment and when the uh, ecosystems are restored fish will come back in abundance. China is leading in high-tech protection of nature, like the panda protection in Sichuan, uh, the greening of the desert in Mongolia is the best practice uh, in the world. And some of the green cities, particularly in southern China, like Zhuzhou or Hangzhou or Guangzhou or, or Shenzhen, are now among the greenest cities in the entire world. So the rest of the world can learn a lot from China in how to protect nature. In Shenzhen, there is a huge uh, wetlands right in the city center of, of this me- me- mega city. Again, putting um, the protection of nature first, but for the benefit of the people.
1: Exactly. Uh, I want to talk about your career. There's something very intriguing about your um, continental shift, if you will, in your career. Uh, in 2019, you joined the Green Party of Norway and um, saying that uh, the time has come to build a broad Green People's Party that puts the environment first. Why this change?
0: Because the big challenge of the 21st century is the triple environment crisis. Climate change is real. We have many polluted cities in, in many parts of the world. And of course, we are destroying nature, wiping out uh, animals uh, at a very high rate. This needs to stop. But we have all the policies, all the technologies, and all the finances needed to make that shift. We just need to mobilize a broad, global people's movement for the environment. And that it needs to put people first, because people are causing the environment problems but also people are set to benefit uh, from the solution to the environment problems.
1: You know, when I talk about your uh, the continental shift in your career, I also mean it uh, literally, from Norway, now you're working very closely with China. What has brought you back to this part of the world? Mainly because I believe
0: that the 21st century is the Asian century. <laughs> the 19th century may have been the European century and the 20th the American. In the 21st century, we'll go back to the roots of history, that China, India were the dominant economies in the world. That will happen very soon. Indonesia, by the way, will be the fourth biggest economy in the world by uh, by 2050. So we see a huge shift to Asia. And we also see now Asia governments like the Chinese and the Indian, but also civil society groups and the people moving to the forefront of the leadership in this green shift. No one should blame Asia for the environment crisis. US emissions per capita are 25 times Indians up to this point, eight times Chinese up to this point. So neither India nor China should be blamed for the climate crisis, but they can take the lead in the shift and I want to make my very, very small uh, contribution to help uh, making this shift happening.
1: You know, you have been talking about a great green uh, Belt and Road project. How do you see that coming? There are
0: many great great Belt and Road projects happening. Look to rail construction as an example. Uh, The Trans-Malaysia Railroad is now uh, moving fast forward. Last year, the uh, Vientiane Laos uh, to uh, Yunnan Railroad was finished. In Africa, I myself many times taken the Nairobi Mombasa Railroad. There is the Ethiopia Djibouti Railroad. There is the railroad in Indonesia from Bandung to uh, Jakarta. uh, There is is the Hanoi uh, Metro system. All these are constructed by China, so it's great for those nations, making mobility better, improving the economies of Laos or Malaysia or Indonesia. But of course, it's also fantastic news for the planet, because moving from road to rail or to sea transport is much better for the environment.
1: Secretary Eric Soheim, thank you so much for your insight.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the, g- bridge the gap between what you know
0: and what you want to know. This is The Hub.
1: This year marks the 50th anniversary of the diplomatic relations between China and Maldives. Under the Belt and Road Initiative and other China-built infrastructure projects, this cluster of coral islands in the Indian Ocean has increased mobility and improved this economy, Earlier, I had an exclusive interview with the Ambassador of the Maldives to China. Madam Ambassador, welcome to The Hub on CGTN.
3: Thank you very much. Um, First of all, let me thank uh, CGTN and the team for giving me this platform to enlighten on the close ties between the Maldives and China. The
1: Maldives um, was one of the first countries in South Asia to join the Belt and Road Initiative. And like you mentioned, uh, China-Maldives Friendship Bridge. It's a symbol of this initiative of this cooperative partnership uh, why is this bridge so important
3: the Maldives values the important contribution uh, by china towards the socio economic development of the country the capital island male is uh, you know the hub of our development you know it's congested a uh, lot of uh, people reside in the capital island as you know, the Maldives is um, one island is one hotel, one island is uh, the airport, so... Uh,
1: Very widely dispersed.
3: Yes, widely dispersed, so transportation is uh, an important factor in our development. The China-Maldives friendship bridge has become the symbol of the profound friendship between the Mo- China and the Maldives. Since the opening of the bridge, uh, already 100 million trips has been made between, uh, between the capital and uh, to the connecting. Uh, And this made a huge contribution to the economic and social development as well. The bridge has changed people's lives and business, uh, making things easier for everyone living in the area, as well as those uh, visiting the country. The China-Maldives Friendship Bridge, uh, social housing, as I said, and other uh, China-aided projects have demonstrated the deep friendship of the Chinese people towards the Maldivian people and set milestones for our bilateral relations. You know, especially during uh, monsoon seasons, um, where the sea is a bit rough, it has always been very difficult to transport from you know between the airport. Uh, so the bridge has uh, you know eased people's life uh, and make things much easier for them.
1: Ambassador Azima, I want to talk about climate change. And uh, we know that the Maldives is really at the front line battling climate change. It's about the lives of your fellow citizens there. I remember a senior official of your country said if no actions are taken, no drastic actions are taken, uh, the Maldives can be underwater by the end of the century. And this is not a apocalyptic scenario in the Hollywood movie, but this is happening as we speak.
3: Yes, the climate change is not a concern raised only by the small island states uh, and other climate vulnerable countries. It is not only about sea level rise or erosions. It is now a global emergency. Every day we are observing more, most uh, powerful storms and hurricanes uh, all, all around the world. Unpredictable rains and monsoon patterns, roaring wildfires, devastating floods, Today, all nations of the world are facing the consequences of our collective uh, inaction on climate change. Since the Maldives became a member of the United Nations, in every forum the Maldives advocates on these issues. Maldives may be powerless uh, in unilaterally preventing the adverse effects of climate change, but that does not mean that we will simply accept our fate. In December 2020, President Ibrahim Mohamed Soli announced intention to read net zero emissions by 2030 at the Climate Ambition Summit. We are also rethinking our development model to achieve the f- future we want. President Solis' administration has introduced significant legislative and policy measures to re- reduce, reuse and recycle. Under the, these measures, the use of single plastics will be completely phased out by 2023. In Com- COP 27 this year, the Maldives will continue to vocal- vocalize the f- fight of small island nations and vulnerable nations. We will reiterate our over and over again that we have just over 90 months to bring down the global emissions to limit uh, the temperature rise to 1.5 degrees. That any small increment in, wo- in warming uh, means destruction of our lives, coral of life-giving coral reefs, increased uh, erosions, droughts, and changes to our fish stock. We will continue to ask the world to respond to the situation for what it is and the emergency. The Maldives stands at the forefront of the climate change battle. The Maldives is one of the most vulnerable island countries on Earth to the effects of climate change and thus a need to adapt to climate change. The lowest-lying country in the world is not even built on sand, but on planet's most endangered ecosystem, coral reefs that shattered fragments uh, of which compromise even uh, of our fabulous uh, white beaches. We work together for a shared future, for a peaceful tomorrow for future generations to come.
1: So Madam Ambassador, we know that the Maldives is the upper-middle-income country with a per capita GDP Increasing significantly year by year and the president of your country said he wants uh, To diversify the economy of the Maldives uh, not just relying on the tourism industry. How do you see that happening?
3: The Maldives has uh, continued to develop as a steady uh, pace uh, during the last 20 years The economy has remained resilient amongst the shocks of the world uh, has been seen during in the past period pro-market policies embedded within, uh, within the government's economic vision uh, contribute to a strong uh, liberal and transparent trading and uh, commercial environment. In its drive to build a strong and stable economy, the government has implemented several policies that open uh, opens up attractive opportunities for, in, for foreign investors. MODIS has enjoyed strong economic growth uh, with considerable development of the country's infrastructure and connectivity. The economy has grown an annual rate of over 6.4% during the five years period prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. By 2019, annual GDP has increased to US dollars 5.6 billion with a per capita GDP of US dollars 10,541. Although the pandemic has reduced economic growth, early signs in recovery of the key economic sectors indicate that the country can bounce uh, back to its uh, expected economic performance in a relatively short period of time.
1: We know that this year also marks the 50th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations of China Maldives. In 1972, Maldives recognized PRC. This relationship, as you said, is certainly significant. Uh, trade-wise, uh, bilateral trade grew some 40 50% last year. Chinese tourists account for a large uh, chunk of all tourists, uh, inbound tourists to your country. How would you characterize the current state of the relationship and how do you hope that this relationship can be further boosted?
3: The motives uh, established uh, diplomatic relations uh, with the People's Republic of China on uh, 14th October 1972. But even before that, we had very close friendly ties with the people of China. Earlier as the Ming Dynasty, we still had uh, exchanges of gifts and travelers exchange between the Mordis and China. But this year we marked the 50th anniversary of establishing diplomatic relations between our two countries. The Mordis has always had a special significance to its relations with China, an unwavering commitment to the One China policy, and our shared uh, perspective in addressing international issues of mutual interest, um, have helped our bilateral relations thrive from benefit uh, of the people of both countries. Modest-China relationship can be an example of how even economically weak, um, small members of the international community can have a mutually productive and progressive relationship with one of the biggest and the largest economic powers in the international community. China has uh, been and remains an, eco- an important economic bilateral uh, development partner to the Maldives in its journey to secure uh, a place in one of the most vibrant uh, middle-income uh, development countries.
1: And that will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. and am Wang Now, the news coverage
3: continues on CGTN.